Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come before you this day, we ask that your spirit would be alive and well in us. Father, may you soften the calluses in our hearts and open us up to the teaching that you might have for us this day. Father, may you not just open us up, but also, Lord, might you strengthen us and encourage us that we might be able to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling and of the hope that you have placed before us. Father, we recognize both our insufficiency this day, but also we confess your sufficiency. So, Lord, out of the coffers of your grace, might you bestow upon us a measure of grace that so strengthens us and inspires us that we might have the strength and courage to walk before you to your glory this day and week. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to take you back to those moments in your life where you faced particular difficulties and challenges. You know what they are. Perhaps they were many years ago. Perhaps they were earlier last year or Perhaps you're living in that season right now. We know how life can be as Christians. And sometimes the reality is that life can be very hard, be very cruel. The realities of sin, the effects of disease, the disappointments that we face, the obstacles that we encounter in life can really beat us, beat us hard, can wear us down. And they can threaten our hearts and souls. There are times perhaps that you've felt yourself so overwhelmed by the, tr- the troubles and the trials and the tragedies around you that you barely have the strength to get out of bed. And ironically, out of that comes the overwhelming isolation that we can experience in the midst of hardship as well, which certainly doesn't offer a helpful tonic to our souls. But friends, one of the great things that we have, the greatest thing we have, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that it is when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, when we were absolutely destitute, that God loved us. He saw us. And like a light peering in the darkness, that light shone on you. And you were told of the good news of the gospel of God's own love for you. And that began to strengthen your dead, decaying heart giving you life and vitality and strength so that you might not be caught in the realities of despair, but that you might see that beyond the realities of all the challenges and obstacles that we face, that there truly is purpose 
in the midst of these seemingly senseless realities of the hardship of life. And that purpose comes when we encounter God face to face. I know as pastors we preach the gospel so frequently that perhaps we might come across insincere as we proclaim the gospel. Friends, we're affected by hardship and challenge just like you are. One of the realities, some of you know the hardships of my own life. One of the hardships in my own family was in 2019. Our daughters were born and they were beautiful and wonderful, but even on the first day of their birth, we found that they had failed their hearing exams. And even there in the hospital, we came to find out over the course of the coming months by October of that year that of the four ears between our two twin daughters, only one ear actually worked. Clara, our youngest, was completely deaf. She has no access to sound. And Kate is operating in mono. She can hear out of one ear, but not out of the other. And as parents who have no history in our, our family backgrounds of um, hearing loss or any challenges on this, this was particularly challenging for us, knowing that now to communicate with our youngest daughter, we had to learn a new language, American Sign Language, to teach her how to speak so that we can communicate with our daughter. One of the beautiful things about the hardships in our life is that when we experience them, then the truth of the gospel illuminates itself in a different way as a result of the realities of our own hardships. And part of the reason why I'm excited to preach this morning is that I get to share with you one of the passages that now illuminates in a unique way in my own life, having experienced the realities of deafness in my own family. Friends, though the hardships are hard, God is good. And like in other places in, in, in Scripture and in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see here that truth that we need each and every day that is in the face of Jesus Christ that we find dignity, restoration, and healing. There are a few things I want to draw your attention today in our passage as it is spoken to me personally. I hope so also it will speak powerfully and personally to you as well. Well, our passage begins in verse 31 of chapter 7 with this really strange route that Jesus was taking. If you're familiar with the geography of Israel, particularly in the first century, you know some of these cities and locations. They've come up in the life and ministry of Jesus before. Tyre is in the north. Sidon is further north. The Sea of Galilee is a little bit south, so Jesus is coming and circling back down south. And then the Decapolis was a region of ten cities, some were on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, some were on the western bank of the Jordan River, that come down at, an, at a little bit of an angle. So Jesus is taking this almost question mark shaped journey, and at the end of chapter 7, he goes back up to Galilee. And this journey has puzzled scholars as they've looked at this passage, even questioning its authenticity, because the journey is so off the beaten path for Jesus. He goes on this journey, and it, all that happens on this particular leg of the trip, he goes to the, the Decapolis, and this particular passage is all that we have of this particular leg of his journey. Then he goes back to Galilee. So why would Jesus go so off the beaten path in his life and in his ministry? Well, if you know how life actually works, 
that we sometimes think that life is a logical, linear progression from one point to the another. That's not actually how life works. Sometimes it's zigs and zagging. You go east, you go west, you go north, you go south. And where you thought you were going to end up at 18 is not where you actually find yourself at 40 or at 65. Well, here in Christ's own ministry, he also from time to time goes out of the way and off the beaten path. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that Christ was reliant upon the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit and where he is supposed to move and shape in terms of the directions of his own life. And so to answer this question, why does Jesus go off the beaten path? Well, because the Holy Spirit was leading him to do so. The Holy Spirit knew about this man, and God providentially had a particular work that he wanted the Son to do in his life and ministry. And that work centers around the man that we are about to meet today. Well, as Jesus goes to the region of the Decapolis, the Decapolis was an area and region that was dominated by Hellenistic culture. You remember that several hundred years prior to this, Alexander the Great conquered all the known world by the time that he was 30, or the, the known populated world by the time that he was 30. And in so doing, he also began to introduce Greek culture throughout the world. The Decapolis were 10 cities in the area of Israel that were particular centers of Greek culture. Now, if you were a Jew, these would not be the kind of cities you wanted to go to. They'd be like the Las Vegas or the New Orleans, where all the pagan culture was. That was where the Greeks were. They don't know the covenant promises of God. They don't know what it means to live faithfully before the God of Israel. They're culturally different. They eat the wrong foods. Literally, they worship the wrong gods. And their political ideals are for the glory of Rome, not for the glory of God. Well, this is the place where Jesus goes. And in the midst of going there, this unknown they, the crowds, unknown faces recorded by the gospel writers, but they bring to Jesus a man who is deaf. He cannot hear, and he has a speech impediment. When he speaks, he stammers. If you've encountered a person with hearing loss, you know that their voices sound differently. That's part of the result of the audio information that they're able to receive, receive translates differently in their mind, and so they don't articulate in the same way that those of us who have better utilization of our hearing articulate when we translate the information that we are receiving um, in an audible fashion. We don't know a lot about this man from the language of our text, but there are some um, strong assumptions that we can make about him given the realities of deafness both today and the cultural sensitivities or perspectives they had about disability in the ancient world. One of the things that we know about deafness is that it is a profoundly isolating phenomenon, historically speaking. We're very grateful as a family that we live in a day where there are many resources available for our daughter to be able to accommodate and to engage and build relationships. But for this man living in the first century, he did not have the benefit of technology or the cultural awareness that we have here in 2024. He would have been profoundly isolated, unable to communicate, and communication brings with it knowledge and understanding and information. It also brings with it relationship and humor and interaction. He would have been profoundly isolated relationally and very alone. 
his speech impediment would have caused him a level of personal shame as he would interact with others. And so not only was he isolated, but there would be levels of great sensitivity and embarrassment about himself as he did interact in public. He was likely very poor as he lacked the basic resources to communicate and build a livelihood from himself. If his parents were still around, they probably also bore a significant level of shame. Because one of the cultural realities about life in the ancient world is that they believed that if you were experiencing any level of difficulty or any level of um, disability in your family, this was due to something that you did to displease the gods. So there were supernatural reasons for the shame that they also, he also would have borne that, that he and his family or somewhere generationally, something greatly wrong had happened. And as a result of this, he was being punished for the realities of the problems of his own family life and lineage. So we can identify with a lot of these things as we all have faced circumstances of isolation. We've all borne our differing levels of shame and our certain levels of social discomfort. But though this man certainly has physical disadvantages, there's also a spiritual disadvantage. That growing up in the Decapolis, he was away from the truth of the gospel. He was born apart of the promises that were given to the people of Israel. And though living in close proximity, he also would have had that taboo from the people of God being born and raised in a Greco-Roman culture. Despite these disadvantages, this man also has unique advantages. Living as a contemporary of Christ. God providentially directing Christ along his own path. And also situationally placing him in a community that cared enough that knowing about the power of Christ, despite being pagan Gentiles, they brought this man to Christ to be healed. And not only did they bring him to Christ, as our text says, they begged with him, they pleaded with Christ that he might heal this man. See, our community means a lot. Our community advocating for those who are disenfranchised, for those who are disadvantaged, it means a lot. And for this man, it was the difference between him encountering God himself, the second person of the Trinity, and finding healing, or being destitute as he had been born and raised um, from a younger place in his childhood. Well, when Christ encounters the man, he does some things that for us as hearing people are very, very strange. He takes his fingers, he sticks them in his ears, he actually touches his tongue, which for many of us would just <laughs> cause us to withdraw. I mean, we know about germs. This is extremely weird for someone to be doing these kind of things for us. But let's rewind a little bit and see Christ's first action. You see, he takes the man and he pulls him aside from the crowd. He communicates to him in such a way that he brings him face to face with himself, shutting out the voices of the others and the crazy zaniness that is going around him. He brings the man face to face, personally and privately with him. He's not trying to make a public spectacle of this man, but personally addressing his own concern in accordance with Christ's will. As we think about the fingers that are going into his ears and about the touching of his tongue, 
Jesus is actually signing to this man who is born deaf. He is doing, he is communicating with him in a way that helps him understand what he is trying to do for him and simultaneously in conveying that message to him also affect the faith of the man, showing him in confidence who he is and what he is willing and desiring to do for him. Think about the actions of sticking your fingers into ears. What is Jesus signing to him? Your ears are stopped. I'm going to unplug them. Think about the function of the tongue. Your tongue, here. This is not working. And spitting. Showing that his tongue is going to start to function. He looks at him again, and what does he keep doing? He looks up to heaven. What is Jesus signing and conveying to this man? That the authority and the power doesn't come from me, but it comes from on high. That he might look above to God, to the one that sent him as being the source of the healing. And the sighing, that I am the agent through which the one from above is going to work. And then what does Jesus do? He speaks. Which is funny because the man can't hear, right? So why in the world is Jesus speaking to heal the man when the man can't hear him? Well, because throughout the Scriptures, it's the exercise of God's Word that brings forth life and new creation. All the way from Genesis 1, God's first words, let there be light, and there was life. In Christ's own healing ministry, he's continually speaking. Why is he speaking? Because there's a power in God's word to bring forth new life. For this man, whatever the physiological realities are, Christ is going to speak, and upon speaking and saying the words be opened, healing is going to happen on his brain or in his ear functions. His tongue that couldn't properly move in form words is going to be loosened in such a way that it has the necessary muscle memory to communicate verbally in a way that is known. But not only are the physiological realities going to be changed and given to this man, so also the syntax, vocabulary, and grammar that is necessary to speak openly and plainly so that you can be understood is also simultaneously going to be given to this man. You think about what we are able to do today. We can heal parts of the physical edifice today and do some things about hearing loss, but we cannot in a single instant heal both the mechanism and give decades worth of, of therapy to individuals. You see, when Christ heals, it is better. It is always better. And so Christ speaks very openly, be opened. And what happens? Well, we've seen Christ heal and speak before. And when Christ speaks, stuff happens. The man's ears are opened, his tongue is loosened, and he is able to speak plainly in such a way that the people are able to hear and understand this man clearly. I mean, let's just stop for a second and think about all of how much of this man's life is now going to be radically transformed. Not only can he speak and communicate his own thoughts and feelings, he can receive information from other individuals. He can learn and grow and develop skills that will 
change and transform his life forever. He can build relationships and he can heal wounds from decades and years worth of unknowns. He can now communicate and express clearly with those who are around him. He can give thanks. He can give clarity. He can reconcile and restore and build and now flourish all because of what Christ has done for him. You see, Christ gives him the simple gift of hearing and speech, but this gift will transform his life from now until the day that breath is brought from him. And in the midst of that transformation is the lifelong referral, that referent, that fixed point in his life that every time he hears a bird sing, every time he hears the wind in the trees, every time he hears a song and speaks to another individual, he knows that he is doing so because of the gift of Jesus Christ. Friends, do we treasure what Christ has done in us? Do we also see simultaneously how in the midst of the darkness of our own life, there are things that Christ is deliberately wanting to teach us, and in withholding certain things from us, he then opens our hearts to be trusting upon him in such a way that when he fills that need in the way that he wants to, we can uniquely appreciate him in a way that we never would have if we didn't have that initial sense of yearning, longing, and deficiency in our life. And you see, Christ isn't doing that just one-on-one for you individually in the church. He's doing that for all of us. That like when Jesus encounters the man who is born lame, you remember this passage, and the disciples ask, was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin that caused this? And Jesus says, no, it's neither. It's that God's glory might be known through him. You see, God is uniquely trying to manifest his own glory in your own life. And it's the realities of the darkness, and it's in the backdrop of each and every one of our own darknesses that the light of Christ is shining through, meaning to, meaning to remind us both of our own deficiencies but also of our need for Christ. And when he begins to, to fill that and shape that in our lives in his own timing, oh, the transformation that can begin. Well, some of you say, John, I feel no healing yet. It's true. You may not. Remember Job, that great sufferer in the Old Testament who lost everything. He lost his kids, his family, his wealth. Even his own wife said to him, Job, curse God and die. It's not worth it. What does Job do? He refuses in his own soul to do so because he knows in his heart of hearts that one day in his flesh, he will stand before God at the last day. And in that day, he knows that his Redeemer will live and will stand before him and God as a mediator and as an arbitrator between him and God. And it is there in his flesh that he will receive the answer to the longing of his own heart and to the suffering he experienced. But God in his grace had something to show Job and this deaf man as well. He didn't have to wait until the end of the world and until the final resurrection. God was going to come and speak to him now face to face. And so also he does with us not in the physical form of his son, 
but in the presence and assembly of the saints. Where two or three or more are gathered in my name, I am present there. See, it is here that we find healing. It is here that we find the presence of God. And in finding the presence of God, it is there that we discover something far greater than the answer to our own healing. We find that we are known by God, that we are loved by God, that we are cared by Him, and that He is working to equip us, to utilize us in such a way that we are full of that confidence and assurance that we teach each and every one of our fellow sufferers that there is hope, and that hope comes through Him. There's a final thing I'd like to remind us of this morning from our passage, and I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it because Jesus then, after healing this man, then starts to rebuke the crowds, telling them, don't tell anybody what I just did. And Jesus does this throughout all of Mark. In Mark particularly, Jesus is concerned about his, um, the fullness of his messianic identity being revealed uh, in an inopportune time. Jesus knows that he lives in a politically volatile climate, and there's a particular point in his own trajectory and journey when it is at his passion week that the reality of his person and work are finally meant to be revealed. And so Jesus is cautious throughout his ministry for the realities of his own person as um, God incarnate, as the Messiah, as the one who is ushering in the day of the Lord, that these things be kept to their own proper time. And Jesus knows from the Scriptures, Isaiah 35, 4, and 5, when the author Isaiah tells of the day of the Lord, he says, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Even though Jesus is working in a Gentile area, he knows that, hey, gossip gets around and word gets out. And so he is cautious, not wanting these Hellenistic Greeks to get the news out that Jesus is the one that is healing the deaf and he's opening up the um, mouths of the, those who are mute because it relates to the coming day of the Lord, part of his work as Messiah and second person of the Trinity. But the crowds, they're so excited about what Christ has done that even Christ's own urging can't stop the spread of the gospel. You see, they didn't know everything about Jesus. They probably didn't know his personhood, his incarnation, his true identity, nor did they know about the vicarious sacrifice that he was to offer in a few um, months or years when he died upon the cross on Calvary. But they knew that he does all things well. He even makes the mute speak and the deaf to hear. And that was enough for them to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. You see, one of the things that God is doing in our own midst is He's reminding us against the backdrop of the darkness that there is life and light. There is joy and restoration. And all of that centers around the person of Christ. Let's go back to your own dark nights that I mentioned earlier on the front end. What joy will help you in the midst of your current troubles? What joy will help you down the road? Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been transforming the world for the last 2,000 years. 
It's been pulling men and women who are in the midst of sorrow and pain and trials and tribulations out of problems that far exceed many of our own. And so also it's been, been pulling people out of their circumstances from our own day and age, reminding us that there is far more than the evil, than the wickedness, than the pain that we experience in the, in the world. That the good world that God has created, He is so also working to restore. And He's doing it one soul at a time, all through the work of His glorious grace. Friends, cling to these truths. Cling to them in the midst of the darkness, for they are light, and they will guide you home. Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you again for your gospel through which we have light and life and hope. Lord, we recognize and we also confess that we are reluctant to believe your promises, and it's not because they aren't great. It's because we are feeble and frail. So comfort us again this day. Provide us assurance of the gospel that you have given to us. And, O oh Lord, quicken our steps that we might run and walk to the glory of your grace. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.